This week on the Off the Crossbar podcast, a handful of games in week 10 as we inch closer and closer to the halfway mark of the season. But guess what? We're going to Vegas. We'll talk to Casey Jackson of the San Diego Seals, and we'll also speak with Captain Jordan McIntosh of the Georgia Swarm. All that and more on OTCB. What is good, lacrosse fans? Welcome to another edition of the Off the Crossbar podcast here on SoundCloud, NLL Radio, and Spotify. Of course, brought to you by the Lacrosse Flash. My name is Teddy Jenner. You can get at me on Twitter at Off the Crossbar, or you can email me teddy.jenner at gmail.com. Who is making their way to Sin City? Hopefully a lot of you. I know there are actually some NLL guys who have the weekend off who are going to make the trip, so that's going to add a little excitement because it's not too often guys are able to watch other games live and in person. And it's not too often that the National Lacrosse League goes to Vegas, so if you got the weekend off, why not do a double dip? little NLL action, Vegas, Super Bowl. It's going to be a wild one. Down in Sin City. Hope you can join us. Casey Jackson of the San Diego Seals will join us as they embark on their trip to Vegas to take on the Colorado Mammoth. Some of the Seals players are already in town doing some promo stuff. Uh, Wes Berg and the lads have been on top of a couple of arenas reenacting scenes from The Hangover. And I believe some of their... Staff has also been doing some other little vignettes throughout town just to kind of drum up the excitement, build up some energy, get those people who are close enough to drive or fly to Vegas, get them interested in going to the game. And for all those that are maybe in Vegas already, float them some tickets and let them know that Saturday night is going to be rocking at the Orleans Arena. It'll be myself, Doug Locker, Devin Caney on the broadcast, BR Live, Twitter, Facebook, and all the NLL social media channels. Hopefully you'll join us because I am excited and I hope you are as well. We'll get to Casey Jackson in a little bit, but let's quickly take a look back at what was a wild week nine in the National Lacrosse League as we had some really, really Tight games. We also had some lopsided ones. Philadelphia putting the boots to New York on Friday night in front of 7,200 fans at Wells Fargo. The Wings continue to impress. Uh, they've won back-to-back games. They've won five of their last seven. Well, they've only played seven games, but they're five and two. And they are really pushing the New England Black Wolves for that number one spot in the East Division. Who would have thought it? But who really would have thought that the Georgia Swarm would have struggled out of the gate as they have, currently sitting at 500. But Georgia got a much-needed win over New England on Sunday. An overtime winner, Miles Thompson, sealed the deal. And those were the two bookend games of Week 9. The three games on Saturday saw Halifax come back 
against Calgary. They were down early in that game, but again, the Halifax Thunderbirds continue to find ways to win, and I know myself, Jake Elliott, a few others have been touting Warren Hill as an early candidate for MVP. I still believe in those words. I also believe in the words that Mike Akersey has to be head and shoulders above everybody for head coach of the year as we near the halfway point. And you have to give him credit. Sure, they are not a true expansion team. They are a team that has been together for a number of years. They only have a handful of rookies, but a new city, a new name, a new logo, new culture, new coaching staff, everything that they have had to deal with. And for Micah Kersey to have this team at 6-0, and they're, what's that, plus 24 goals against, and they continue to find ways to win. They were down early against Colorado. They were down early against Calgary. And they've been able in those games to reset, find their focus, and just slowly start to claw back. And when you can win those types of games, sure, blowing teams out is one thing. Holding on to a lead an entire game is another. But to be down in games and to be down late in games to have the resolve and the moxie to be able to battle all the way back in some of those contests whether it be on the road or at home shows a lot about the leadership of this group and the incredible job that Micah Kersey has done as their head coach so Halifax continues to impress can they keep it going this weekend when they head to Toronto Buffalo beats Colorado 13-12 in overtime as Corey Small gets a game winner to deflect off the stick of Jordan Gillis and across the line. But that night was all about Josh Byrne, who had a seven spot. Most anyone has scored in the NLL this year. The only other guy to have six was Riley O'Connor. And he did that maybe like week two or three for the Wolves. And then San Diego got a much-needed win on the road in New York in front of 3,200 fans, and San Diego was in New York already. They were waiting for the Riptide to get back from Philadelphia. They took advantage. Nick Damood made his start NLL starting debut and was fantastic. I don't think enough people are giving him the credit that he deserves for what he did in that game. And with the signing of Charles Claxton by the Seals, we still don't know exactly what's wrong with Frank Chiliano, but that would lead many to believe that if they're bringing in a third goaltender, that there might be some more to the injury or other factors as to why Frank Chiliano was not between the pipes last weekend and may not be between the pipes this weekend in Vegas. So we'll try to find some of those answers for you before the game on Saturday night. But as of right now, Mum's the word on what's up with Big Frank the Tank. So those were your week nine games, and nothing really stood out in those games of major importance. You know, we talked about Halifax being 6-0 and and finding ways to win. San Diego getting a much-needed win on the road coming into this game. Philadelphia continuing to press. But we have to focus, as we're going to get set to talk, 
with Jordan McIntosh, captain of the Georgia Swarm, is this Swarm team struggle early on. And when we talked at the beginning of the season, as we previewed the season in earlier episodes, from this podcast to almost every other one, and if you would have asked anybody coming into the halfway mark of the season, where would Georgia be ranked? Pretty sure none of you had them at 3-3. Three and three. This has not been an ideal start for Ed Camo and the Georgia Swarm, but this is a group that is very veteran-heavy. They've been to the title games before. They've won it. They know what it takes to continually push the envelope. But for the first time in a while, they're facing a little bit of adversity. And so how they react to that adversity can really tell how much of a championship-caliber team they really are. And if they can put that slow start behind them and start to put together some wins here in the middle stages of the season, then it's not unthinkable that they can right this ship. It's not that far out of the equation. They've got Philadelphia this weekend. Then they've got New York, Calgary, Vancouver, New York again. And that takes us and then uh, Philadelphia on a back-to-back with that New York weekend at the start of March. So there's an easy path for them to right this ship. Philadelphia twice, New York twice, Calgary and Vancouver. That's not a bad stretch of games for a team that's struggling to try and get back on track. So we'll talk about a lot of those things with Jordan McIntosh, but obviously the news of the sporting world came on Sunday with the passing of Kobe Bryant. Now, the Swarm were in the middle of a game as that news broke out, as they were taking on the Riptide. And for many of us, you know, I was traveling back from Colorado. Other guys were sitting on the couch watching the Pro Bowl. And you'll all remember where you were when you heard that news. And everybody was as shocked as everybody else and in disbelief when that news came out. But Kobe Bryant was a global ambassador, not just for basketball, but for all sports. He was an incredible role model and an incredible leader. And so many athletes beyond the basketball world admired and looked up to Kobe Bryant. And so we asked Jordan right out of the gate, where were you when you found out? And what was the feeling knowing that one of the greats had left us too soon? Uh, Yeah, so we we got caught in the room after the game and, um, uh, you know, Eddie did his thing at his his talk. And then, you know, as guys started to uh, get get dressed, um, Matt Dunn and TJ Camizio, a couple of guys that were out um, not playing, uh, had to let us know, and it was it was a really weird feeling. You know, we had kind of come over. It was a big win for us, and uh, you know, a lot of excitement. You know how it is after a big win, and uh, to hear that news, it really um, it took a, a, a lot of wind out of the room. Um, you could tell that he was a, an influential person in a lot of people's lives, um, especially uh, I think most athletes at at the age you know. 20 to, to 35, you grew up watching 
watching Kobe Bryant in his entire career, basically. So, um, yeah, it was kind of a, it was kind of a, you didn't believe it at first. And I think that was a natural reaction for a lot of people. Um, and as we started to, you know, jump on Twitter and social media and, and read some of the news outlets, it was, it was shocking. As, as an athlete, you mentioned, you know, we looked up to him. He was a guy that polarized the sporting universe and he wasn't just a basketball player. He was a, a global phenomenon. You've had the opportunity to travel the world uh, with the sport of lacrosse, but how amazing was he as a global athlete and, and something that you aspire to as one as well? Yeah, I think when you when you look at him from an athletic perspective, what you appreciated was work ethic and compete. Um, it could be a Tuesday night playing Utah where the Lakers were favored by 30 points, but that look on his face from the, the opening tip was, was fierce. And to bring that every night like he did right until the end of his career for 20 years, um, that's what separated him. That's what made him different. Um, the work ethic was a big reason why so many people fell in love with him. I mean, he was notorious for being the first person at the gym, the last one to leave. Um, as cliche as that is, that's, that's what made him great. I think off the court, it was kind of interesting for him and someone, I mean, working kind of in, um, outside of lacrosse working in, in software and in technology, his, his post basketball career was really interesting to me how he was able to leverage, um, you know, the relationships he built throughout his, his athletics career and drive uh, a, a really interesting and neat lifestyle afterwards from um, some of the stuff he did with investing and, and uh, obviously all of the, the media stuff he does with, with ESPN, with details. I, I thought he had a really, really interesting post-basketball career that even almost grew his, his brand more, grew his likeness more. And, it almost humanized him a little bit um, after sports where uh, he was this intense competitor on the court when he played and then he got to kind of peel a layer of the onion back after he played that, that really gave you insight into what made him so great. So I think um, the the two kind of lives that he lived were, were both fascinating to me. And um, it, it's been funny the last, uh, not funny, but the last couple of days just, a lot of a lot of reflection after after something like that. Um, uh, just how precious life is, and and um, you know, for someone like myself, I get to play a game I love. Just making sure that you know, every time I'm I'm putting my jersey on, I'm I'm uh, appreciating what I'm getting to do. The wins become a little more special after hearing that news. Let, let's go back to that win, an overtime victory. Uh, against New England, a team that you've often struggled with in New England, the team that was undefeated going into that game. You guys had been struggling a little bit throughout the middle part of the season. How important is that win for you guys moving forward, knowing that, okay, maybe we've turned a bit of a corner here? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, the start of the season hasn't gone as planned. Uh, I think we, everyone in our room would say that. We we made some moves in the offseason that really – made us feel like we had a team that, that could compete at the top of our division and make a long playoff run. And I don't think that's changed. I just don't think we've been playing up to our potential. Um, that was a huge test for us. I think what New England's done, essentially since they've started in, in, in Connecticut, um, they've built an amazing roster. And uh, 
they uh, offensively are no joke. I mean, Callum is a nightmare to cover, and then you surround them with shooters like Steph, um, uh, Rezzy, and then um, the rookie Q. I think there's just so many weapons around them now that playing and, and game planning for them is, is a challenge. So it was a big win for us, and uh, you know, I think coming off an overtime loss to kind of fight some adversity in the fourth quarter, come back from a three-goal lead and, and snag an OT win was a, was a, a good boost of energy for us and hopefully something that will carry us into this kind of next portion of the season. It's nice to be able to get some depth of scoring and, and not just rely on Lyle, but it's Shane Jackson who's really taken his game to another level this year, leading the league in points we're tied for, leading the league in gold. How nice is it to see Shane O'Jack get the attention that he's sort of really deserved as being very underrated now he's starting to show how talented he truly is. Yeah, I'm so happy. I mean, I played with, this will be my eighth year together with him in, in both Minnesota and Georgia. And, uh, you know, he's always, he's always, if you look at his numbers every year, he's been awesome for us. Mm-hmm. He's been a leader and he's been an assistant captain for, I think, five years now. Um, uh, I think the, the, the special moment for me for, with him was this summer. You know, him getting the nod to play for Team Canada and then watching him play in that tournament with the best players in the world and, and really making a dent in, 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 in showing his name. Um, and now I think it's, I don't think it's anything he's, he's done differently. He's always been a really hard worker. I think what I, what I love about Shane is he's not your prototypical, um, leading goal scorer. I mean, every game, the guy feels like he's picking himself off the turf five, six times a game. He's battling for loose balls. He's just a, an absolute gamer and, and honestly one of the best teammates I've ever played with. So I'm happy I'm happy he's getting something to do. And um, We've been obviously busting his chops about the hat trick every game. Like, you know, we're we're asking when he's going to finally score four, but uh, he, uh, he's been very consistent for us, which we appreciate. You look through this roster of guys who are finally getting a chance. You know, Matt Dunn the last couple of years, has really shown us what he could do. Adam Wiedemann is now starting to be in the everyday guy that is reliable and you can count on. Zed Williams is a guy that really broke out at that world tournament along with Shane. Can he, is there a ceiling for him that you see? Because Zed continues to improve at this indoor NLL version of the game. Yeah, Zeddy, Zeddy uh, again, another guy who's just uh, one thing that, uh, that's been tough with our team the last couple of years is we have draft picks and we have a really strong roster. So mm-hmm. when, when Zeddy had his, his first season with us, he kind of played a transition role and, you know, obviously that wasn't his, his first choice and that wasn't where he was comfortable, but he played great for us in that transition role and then moved into that offensive role over the last couple of years. I think this year confidence is, is growing year over year playing professionally. And now you see, uh, you know, him at his very, very best. I think he's really comfortable playing with Randy Lyle and Miles, which which makes for natural chemistry. But Zeddy, it's interesting. Those four guys on the right side, they all kind of can beat you in different ways. Zeddy's obviously a tremendous outside shooter and strong as an ox when it comes to, you know, getting underneath uh, off the midboards. But he's also a really good off-ball player. He sets picks on us in practice that, He's a hard guy to move, so he's uh, he's really flourished and 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 he's uh, stepped into his role really nicely for us. So we've been we've been super happy with him. Is Alex Kreppensek still keeping you in check after all these years? <laughs> yeah, he is. 
Uh, obviously, he's, uh, he's probably my best buddy. Uh, eight years with him. It's funny, with Krep and I, we, we've literally played together pretty much every year of our lives since we were seven years old. So whether it was minor, um, minor, junior, senior, college, and professionally every single year of our lives. So, yeah, we always joke that we are sick of each other, yet we sit beside each other in the locker room. We're on the same line defensively. We're always yelling at each other on the floor. But, uh, yeah, he's a guy that – he's the easiest guy in the world to play with because I know exactly what he's going to do and he knows exactly what I'm going to do. And, uh, yeah, I love I love that I get to share that friendship with him still, you know, this this much later into our careers and hopefully do it for, uh, for a few more years here. What do you remember about those days in Ajax? Because those were some lean years for you guys. <laughs> Honestly, they were. Uh, there was not a lot of wins. <laughs> yeah. Look back at the record books, but for Alex and I, it was great. I mean, we had a, a roster with with no NLL players, so we had a lot of guys that were in a position like us where we were scrapping to to hopefully make a roster. And for us, it was great because we played so much. We were on the ball lines. We were on the short man. We were on the power play. We, we did everything. And I think that summer, when you're playing against the competition of like the Peter Bros and, and uh, the Six Nations teams where, you know, you're losing, you're taking a something, but you're getting to compete at those guys at so many different aspects of the game. I think it really helped us both improve and prepared us for the NLL. I mean, I remember games playing in Peterborough where I would be chasing off against Jeff Snyder, playing on the top of the power play with Junior and Tavares, and then trying to score on, like, you know, Mikey Thompson over over Chris White and and a bunch of just beasts on this Peter Road defense. So you're, you're doing that all in, within one game. You're going to improve. And uh, like I said, although the record wasn't there from a, from an experience perspective and an improvement perspective, we, uh, we got a lot out of those summers. You learn how to hold yourself accountable. You also learn how to become a better player. As you've matured through this national cross, you, you talk about eight years. Now, you know, you're going on to another season as captain. How have you changed as a lacrosse player? Yeah, I think uh, my role over the years has definitely changed, I think, uh, significantly since Eddie has come on board. Um, and, you know, I, I, I give a lot of credit to Eddie and the staff. Um, basically, when they came on board, they told me in my first couple of years uh, that I played too much, which is a weird thing to hear as a player, uh, and that they wanted me to have a, a, a different role. And they wanted me to focus on the defensive end of the floor, you know, contributing in transition, um, you know, getting these balls, and and focus on my leadership from a, from a back end perspective. And so, uh, you know, at first that was tough. I was used to scoring and being on the power play sometimes and running a lot more offensive shifts than I am now. But I think what they, what they did is they made me a better leader by, you know, taking that, that kind of approach of what can I do to, to help the team? What aspects of the team need the most help? And uh, yeah, so I think from a, from a career perspective, I'm not obviously not scoring as many goals and putting in as many assists as I used to, but I feel like I'm, I'm playing better than I ever have because I'm contributing in a way that our team needs it right now. That's on the on the back end of the floor, you know, in transition, at the faceoff circle, and then uh, in the locker room from a from a leadership perspective. So it's changed a lot, and uh, I think now the success we're having as a team over the last you know four or five years, uh, I'm happy it has because I think uh, it's the spot I need to be in. 
how have you taken some of the younger guys under your wing, like a guy like Casey Tarbell, who is, is learning the pro game, and, and Ryan McFadden, who's been in and out of the lineup trying to find his feet. What's the message you tell to those young guys, you know, having been through the process throughout your career? Yeah, I think uh, with a lot of guys that are, that are coming up right now, um, there's, there's obviously a lot, of, a lot more opportunity with, with other teams. Um, and I think, I think for, for guys like Kaysen, for Spadge, and for even guys from last year, like, you know, Bomber, Bomber and some of the other guys, Brent Bomberry, Weeds, um, I think one thing that largely goes, uh, kind of overstated in the NLL is obviously you're doing the one practice a night. You're doing the, uh, you're doing your, your shoot around, but the, the players that get on the floor the quickest are the ones that are doing that extra work during the week. So that's something that you really harp on when, guys are coming out of their college programs where they have, you know, six practices a week and six workouts a week and games. Um, it's really easy to be disciplined. Um, the, the guys that really go for a long career in the NLL are the ones that continue that discipline into their professional careers. So that's watching film during the week. That's making sure they're staying on top of their workouts. And I think we do a good job of that on our team with, with our, our group. We're probably one of the, one of the few other groups in the league that are really, really spread out from, from a player's perspective. Um, so that, that constant communication with those younger guys during the week to make sure that we're getting stuff done is, is, is vital to our success. And um, all those guys I just mentioned are going to be great in all pros. So uh, we're excited to see what they do for us as the year progresses here. You've played a lot of lacrosse over the last year. What was your experience with the PLL? Because I know a lot of people were really interested in what they were going to do. And, and we all knew that what Paul Rabel was going to invest in, it was going to be amazing. But from a player's perspective, how did you appreciate everything that went on with that group? It was awesome. Um, uh, I think you're not wrong. Like from a player's perspective, you know, we got, we got the contracts and we did our thing. We signed our contracts and we, we trusted in Paul's vision and Mike's vision. And we had no idea <laughs> what the hell was going to happen. Um, when we went down to Florida for training camp, it was pretty evident right out of the gates. Like this is going to be legit. Um, there was media people there. They were really interested in our in our stories as players rather than, you know, kind of the run-of-the-mill stuff. Very similar to what, you know, really great NL broadcasters like yourself and Jumbo do where they they know the the person behind the mask. And I think that was really a special part of the broadcast in the PLL. And then when we got to Boston for our first game, the, the part that was, for me as a player, that was the most eye-opening was re-watching that game and watching the broadcast. And there was like, it felt like 400 cameras on the field. So many cool angles, all the slow motion, the great broadcast. And it was just like, this, this looks like a legit sport, a sport that can, you know, sustain on a, on a, on a national TV network and, uh, and bring in the viewership that it deserves. So it was, it was phenomenal. Obviously from our, our team perspective, we, uh, we underperformed and uh, hoping to change that going into next year. I felt like, uh, you know, we had we had some good pieces, but we also weren't able to really put it all together. When we did, we were really good, but that only happened a couple times. And unfortunately, my season got cut a little short because I broke my thumb late in the year. But I'm um, looking forward to the next couple of years with the league and, and seeing it grow. And you get pseudo as a head coach, yeah? Yeah, that was. Uh, I, I think uh, I think it, Paul and Mike probably got sick of us bugging them about that. Um, <laughs> he, he's. Uh, He's an indoor guy. He's a he's a, the the epitome of a player's coach. And for most of the the group on the Chrome, we are largely a group that played 
with Cito back in the Rochester days. So we, mm-hmm. you know, we have a, a core like Brannigan, Joel White, John Galloway, Mike Manley, Ned Crotty, Jordan Wolf, all those guys that are really tight with him. And uh, he definitely knows how to get the best out of us. So we're, we're excited to, to have him back. Sudo was with me when I was in Rochester my first two years and in the league. And I'll never forget out of practice him firing a ball all the way across the floor as hard as he could right in front of my face because he felt that I was dogging it. And I never dogged it after that because it flew by my face. <laughs> he, uh, yeah, he, he's, uh, very, very similar to today. Like he, uh, he'll get in your face just like he would probably back in the day. Um, but he's, he's the kind of guy you respect because you know, it's coming from a place of he wants you to be the player that, that, that you are. And, um, like I said, he's just, he's a way of connecting with players that that's different, similar to the way Eddie does where you, you don't need to be told by that guy, Hey, go out and do this, go out and do that. You know what he expects and you, and you go out and do it. So we're really excited to have him back. Philadelphia this weekend for you guys, a, a big test you talked about earlier. You know, you thought that this Georgia team was going to be at the top of the standings as a real force in that Eastern division. You've got to have to a slow start. Philadelphia now starting to find their legs and playing some really, really good lacrosse. This is a very tough matchup for you guys. Very, yeah. I mean, we played them the first game, their first game of the season and um, watching film from them just even from last week, they're, they're very different. I mean, it was only a matter of time before some of their sticks got hot. Like, you know, Blaze is starting to heat up. Uh, Hickey's really heating up. Um, and with Philly, the, the biggest issue with from a defensive perspective is they have great outside shooters, but if you stretch too far, they're massive. <laughs> it's a big team. I mean, Crowley, uh, Courier, Matisse are all huge. And then even on the left side, you have bigger bodies that are that are really hard to knock off the ball. So, you have to play a pretty tight off-ball side and and limit their their gaps on the outside for those outside shots. So they're uh, they're gonna they're gonna take everything that we have from a defensive game plan perspective. And then on the back end, they've they built a really solid defense. So um, you know, Philly last year wasn't a whatever their record was. I think it was like they had four or five wins. But if you looked at their <laughs> their year, they had like five or six one-goal losses where they probably should have won those games late in the game, you know, a couple where they mismanaged late in the game. But, um, yeah, so they're a team that uh, we did not we did not expect to be anywhere near where they were last year and to be at the top of the standing. So it'll be a, a good test for us, and we're hoping that we can pull some of that, uh, that magic we had late in the game last week into, uh, into this week. You can see that game Friday night, 7 p.m. Eastern on BR Live. Where are you watching the Super Bowl, and who are you cheering for? So, Teddy, as you know, I live down downtown Boston, and uh, this is a weird year because Patriots yeah. aren't playing. Um, usually, uh, usually it's uh, it's a pretty happening time around here for the Super Bowl. So we're just uh, we're watching it. We're having some people over at our place, and I. I'm not. I don't have a dog in the race. I like Patrick Mahomes, but for some reason, I think that San Francisco defense is gonna is gonna put a, a cap on the bottle, and uh, I think they're gonna pull it out. I think it's gonna be a hell of a game, man. I think it's gonna be phenomenal. I agree. I agree. I agree. I just that that defensive front for uh, for San Francisco guys are beasts, and I think they're gonna get to them. So uh, we'll see what happens. But uh, yeah, that's that's my prediction. That's Jordan McIntosh, captain of the Georgia Swarm. I kind of like 
how he's going with that Super Bowl. I I think it's going to be a phenomenal game, as I said. I think Mahomes is going to do his best to pick apart that San Francisco defense. Uh, I think it's just going to be an absolute showdown. Uh, I'm super excited to watch that game, hopefully, on a plane. I don't know. I'm going to be traveling back Sunday. Let's hope WestJet has their TVs working so I can turn it on and watch it. If not, just keep texting me the scores because... I won't know. But it's interesting to hear him talk about the relationship that he has had with Ed Camo as a coach. And he has been with Eddie for quite some time. And you can see a lot of those traits of the passion, the fire, the tenacity of Eddie wearing off on a guy like Jordan McIntosh and how he handles himself and how he portrays himself on the floor and off the floor. He's, he's incredibly quiet, but he has those moments where he's brash, he's vocal, he, he's physical, he's in your face. And I think a lot of those young guys in that Georgia locker room look up to Jordan as a leader, as they should, because he's been through it all, he's experienced it all, the highs and the lows of this game. And it's only allowed him to become a better lacrosse player. Those lean years in Ajax where they were real, real bad in the MSL, it allowed him to become a better lacrosse player because he had to be a true number one guy. And when you go, you know, games against Jeff Snyder at the dot, you kind of have to be at your best. And those were some of the games where Jordan was at his best and showed what kind of a true player he can be in the game of lacrosse, because he's not just good indoors. He's a phenomenal two-way guy in the field game, and he mentions everything about the PLL was fantastic for him this year. Gets his good buddy Tim Sudan as a coach again next year. A lot of things go in the way of Jordan McIntosh, so let's hope those Georgia Swarm can right the ship and get things going in a forward direction. Swarm will take on the Wings in Philadelphia Friday night. One of two games on Friday night here in Week 10. Georgia at Philadelphia, Rochester at Buffalo. We talked earlier about the Bandits coming off that impressive overtime win against the Colorado Mammoth. They're taking on a Rochester team that's been off for a couple weeks. And they need to really figure things out in Roch Vegas. But they get... A home game, get to try and figure it out. They, they've got that first win under their belt, so they know what it takes. Now they got to be able to figure out how to put it all together consistently, but it's not going to be easy with the Red Hot Buffalo Bandits coming into town as the Bandits have won three straight. They're a game and a half back of Halifax, but they're also a full game ahead of Toronto. So this is a big game in that Northern Division as the Rock are also in action against the aforementioned Halifax Thunderbirds. That's the third game that's on Friday night. Saturday night, we obviously know Colorado at San Diego, but Vancouver takes on New England in New England. A big trip for the Vancouver Warriors. They got to go all the way out east to the casino. And if they can build off of that win, 
over Colorado a couple weeks ago and put all those factors into play, they could push New England because now that we've seen New England defeated by Georgia last weekend, we kind of have a book on how to beat them. Can Vancouver learn from their efforts against Colorado where they shut the mammoth defense down and kept them to the outside? And what can they learn from the Georgia win over New England that will help them be successful against the Black Wolves? But as we turn the corner into the evening of Saturday night, all eyes in the lacrosse world will be focused on the Orleans Hotel and Casino where the San Diego Seals will take on the Colorado Mammoth in the first ever professional lacrosse game in Vegas. How can you not be fired up for this? Because I am. And I know Bear is, even though he can't come. It is going to be a very interesting weekend, actually, in the long aspect of things. Because what if... This is a game that is played between two of the best teams in the National Lacrosse League, and nobody shows up. What if it's two of the best teams in the National Lacrosse League and 8,000 people show up? It is a giant mystery because we truly don't know what's going to happen in terms of the crowd. And I can't control that. The players can't control that. They just have to go out and do their business. Play the game the only way they know how, and that's at full speed. Whether there's 500 or 5,000 people, these guys are used to playing in arenas full of people and void of people. That's just the nature of our sport. But to go to a neutral site to play a regular season game, that's kind of tough. Neither team will have the true home floor advantage. Neither team will have, you know, any comfortability in that arena in terms of locker rooms, um, pregame routines, any of that stuff. There's going to be so many distractions going around surrounding this game. It wouldn't surprise me if some of the players struggle. However, these guys are as professional as they come. They know this is a business trip. They understand that, yes, it's Vegas, but you are here first and foremost to win a lacrosse game. And if you remember when we had Pat Coyle on the show a month ago and we talked about the Vegas game, he said he wasn't concerned about guys missing flights Sunday morning or Monday morning, whatever. He was more concerned about the fact that they have to play Saskatchewan the next week the third game of their season series with the Rush, which is going to be a season tiebreaker and could be a battle for first place. So everybody needs to realize that, yes, it's Vegas. It's going to be wild. It's going to be crazy. It's Super Bowl weekend. It's going to be madness. But priority number one is the game Saturday night. You can't be thinking about anything else. If you're not fully locked in, you're not helping your team. So they can't worry about who's there, who's not there, what they're going to do after. They can't worry about the Super Bowl. They just have to go and take care of business. Casey Jackson of the San Diego Seals has only gotten into two games this year because he missed the start of the season with concussion symptoms. 
He's back. He's taken one of the biggest hits we've seen so far, and he bounced himself right back up. So obviously he's feeling good, but he's got to be, you know, a little excited about playing lacrosse in Las Vegas. I'm super excited. I've actually been there for the Super Bowl before, um, so I know what it's like in Vegas for the Super Bowl, and it gets, it's pretty wild. But, um, I mean, you got to – Patty's been pretty good with, like, keeping us, uh, you know, focused on the game. It's business first and then kind of focus on what goes on after the game later. But, uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's also, you know, everybody thinks about it coming up and when the date comes, I mean – you're looking forward to the stuff afterwards, but at the same time, uh, you're a professional for a reason. So you kind of have to worry about the game first. Yeah. That's probably going to be a a little bit tough for everybody involved, myself included being part of the broadcast, you know, not getting caught up in the hype of Vegas, but how do you think you're getting the nerves are going to be, you know, walking into Orleans and getting ready for pregame and all that stuff, knowing that it is Vegas. I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be different in the sense that everywhere you go, it's, it's strictly business. Vegas, when you go there, it's strictly fun, most likely. Mm-hmm. So trying to separate both those things is, uh, is going to be hard. It's not going to be like a normal game where, you know, you're, you're, it's just business. It's more like you got to get that fun out of your head and you got to kind of like buckle down and not, not worry about it. It's going to be, I think it's going to be different. I think everybody's going to be dealing with the same thing, which is nice, including probably yourself, you know? And so it's, uh, it's going to be fun, but I think it's going to be a different challenge in the fact of thinking about the game rather than the, the stuff afterwards. It's a huge Western Conference and Western Division game for both yourself and the Colorado Mammoth. How important is that going to be to the mindset, knowing that you know you guys haven't gotten off to the best start? You start you need to start getting Western Conference wins under your belt. For sure, yeah, we know this is a big one. I mean, it seems like every game we're like this is the biggest game yet of the year, and. Um, we know, like last year, I think we ended the year off once Audi I think went down. We were, we went one and five. So, I mean, we started this year one and five. So, we, if we can string some together, we know that we can. We're still in the race. Like we we know we know that we're not counting ourselves out. Like if we can string wins together, it's easy. We can still still get, still get in the playoffs. But you know, there's so much parity in the league. You can't take anyone lightly. I mean, just look New, uh, New York beating Georgia, and they gave us a good run there in the first half last week. So. I mean, there's so much parity in the league that you, you can't overlook anyone. And we know Colorado well. We played them, what, three times last year. So they're a really good team, and they're actually playing really well this year. So, um, yeah, it, it's it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard, but if we string together wins, I mean, the playoffs are still on the horizon for us. You guys did get off to a slow start, but you yourself, um, a delayed start. Uh, how tough was it having to sit out uh, not just most of the summer and the majority of the man cup, but the first, you know, month and a bit of the NLL season with, with concussion symptoms as a guy that's been through that, I know it's not easy, but what were some of the biggest struggles for you during those months? We just weren't allowed to play. I was, it was hard. It's not, I, I've never really had any concussions until this summer. So it was kind of a new, uh, new road for me. And, and it's just weird. It's different than any other injury. It's, you, you can't work out. You can't watch TV. I mean, you can't basically do anything. So, um, and there's no timetable on it. That was the hardest part coming back is, you know, your body feels ready to play. Like you want to play, like there's nothing holding you back, but you know, at the same time, you know, you're feeling different, you're getting headaches and things like that. So, um, but when there's no timetable, like it's like, Hey, you could be back next week or you don't know, maybe you could be back six months. Like that was kind of the worry 
uh, worrisome part for me with dealing with that is I didn't know when I was going to be ready and neither did the coaches. And, um, they were really good with me on, you know, just take it day by day. It's okay. It's no problem. But honestly, on, uh, from a player perspective, it's one of the most frustrating things I've, I've ever gone through just because you break an arm six to eight weeks, you're back. This it's, there's no timetable. I had no idea. So I didn't know if I was even going to get back this, this season. So I was just happy to be, you know, once I got cleared and had the issues go away, I was just, I was just happy to be back, but it was, it was a long road and it was probably the hardest thing I've ever gone through. Do you remember when sort of the concussion happened that, that really set you back? Yeah, I had one. Uh, I got one in the, early in the summer and it wasn't too bad, but we decided to shut it down for the year just to be safe. And then I got cleared for the man cup and I actually went to set a hard pick and my stick broke and I went right through and went right into the guy's shoulder. And that one kind of, you know, took me first in there for a while. I was having a hard time with a lot of stuff. And then, um, yeah, it was just random, like a stick breaking. And then you, you know, you, you didn't brace yourself for anything. You're lots of whiplash and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, I, I still remember it. And, you know, none of them knocked me out or anything like that. They weren't too bad, but they uh, certain things just lingered on longer, and we just wanted to be wanted to be safe. You see all those stories. I'm sure you saw the Aaron Hernandez documentary. It scares Ooh. everybody when you see that stuff. But uh, thankfully, you know, everything was 100 percent once I once I got cleared, and then we went took an extra week or two to be uh, to be safe as well. It's crazy how, like you said, you know, it was just something simple as your stick breaking and your momentum going into your defender. Doesn't have to be a dirty hit. Doesn't have to be a nope. dangerous hit. It can legitimately just be bodies coming together, and that's the scariest thing about concussions is you never know what's going to cause it. No, you have no idea, and uh, and it's it's a whole mental game too. I mean, like before when you didn't have concussions, you don't think about headaches, you don't worry about any of that. Like, none of it comes to mind. Like, but when you have one, now you're a lot more conscious on what's going on up there and certain things. And maybe those things were happening before the concussion. You don't know because you weren't thinking about them. So, um, but like you said, anything can happen in that game. I mean, it's, you could fall weird. You could happen to run into somebody accident. Yeah. Anything can happen. Or you can get absolutely trucked by Scott Campbell and go back first (laughs) into the board. Um, That was your first game back and it had been a while. And obviously the body getting used to, to playing at the NLL level and then, you get welcomed back by Soupy. How did the body feel? Was there ever a moment where you were like, holy crap, it's going to happen again? No, I think the fact that I, when I went into the boards, you know, I was totally fine afterwards. I was like, oh, I'm good. Actually, surprisingly, nothing hurt from that, which I thought was yes. um, a little shocking. I thought my back was going to hurt the next day, to be honest with you. But uh, everything was good. I mean, I, it, it was just randomly how I fell into the boards. I mean, yeah. I kind of leaned forward, probably just, you know, subconsciously thinking about the head, but it didn't hit too hard and nothing happened. But, um, like the doctors and my physio said, Hey, if you can, if you can be fine from a hit like that, you'll be, you're a hundred percent good. So, and I think a lot of that comes from taking the extra weeks to make sure that you're not forcing yourself back. Because if you would have taken that hit maybe earlier in the season, you really may not have been healthy enough to withstand. Uh, Definitely. Oh yeah. I mean, there was even times that we were thinking about clearing me, but uh, the headaches, we, I still had a few headaches, but we realized it was from the neck. 
And then, uh, but we, we didn't want to exactly rule it as neck issues before. So, uh, we did take that extra couple of weeks and you're right. If I, you know, if I came back and it wasn't the neck then boom, you know, who knows? I mean, it could be a Sidney Crosby issue where I'm out for like a whole year, which that's what we were, we were worried about. But I mean, Hey, if I can, if I can take something like that, I mean, I should be fine. So that game against Halifax was, was a tough one. You, you had them and, and they were able to creep back, but. How important was the game against New York for your club to gain some confidence where you can hold on to a lead and withstand pressure late from a club that's trying to sort of find their footing just like you guys are? Yeah, I mean, it was, I think that with, uh, we didn't, we haven't put up a ton of goals in every game. Like, I mean, we've been, um, maybe chemistry is a bit of an issue or something like that. Although the guys, you know, we all really like each other, which is surprising. I've been on a couple teams where, you know, there's clicks and stuff like that, but this team has been really good. Everybody likes each other. So um, maybe it's just a bit of chemistry or something like that, but it was nice to finally have like a good number on a team. And, um, you know, New York is actually really good. Like they were physical, gave us a run. We were tied at half with them. They were actually tied at half with Philly the night before too. So, I mean, thankfully we were able to actually get together as a team and watch that game and get some footage. But, um, I think I think we needed. I think confidence-wise, we've been kind of lacking. So it's kind of nice to get a win, and hopefully, it kind of snowball effects from there. If Connor Kiernan had to go in net, how would he have done? How would he have done? Yeah, um, tough to say. I mean, <laughs> he's short and wide, so I mean, he's probably do okay. But uh, he wasn't too bad actually in warm-up. I mean, I was pretty surprised. He didn't move very often, so. Um, I don't think there was any way he was going in. It could have been twenty-five nothing, and I don't think he even would have thought about putting him in. So uh, he was pretty happy. I think it's probably going to go in his Instagram bio, a professional lacrosse goalie. So we'll see. How. <laughs> well, he does wear a goalie's number. He wears one, so he's got to be. Yeah. Uh, he's got to be crazy like a goalie somehow. That that is true. And if you know the guy, I mean, he's got the mentality of a goalie too. So I mean, he probably he probably suits it better than anyone. How have you enjoyed your time with the San Diego Steels organization since you were picked up by them last year? Obviously, you know, you started with Vancouver. Things didn't work out. You've always had the skills and the talent to be in this league. What's it like to have a team show faith in you um, and keep you within their organization, even though you kind of went through some injuries and stuff like that? How important is that to yourself to have that confidence instilled in you by them? Uh, it was huge. I mean, the fact that uh, they took me out of Vancouver and basically, you know, had the confidence in me to, you know, say, hey, go out there and do your thing was was huge. So, I mean, I didn't get that confidence really in, in Vancouver. I think it was, um, well, I mean, Kevin Alexander was there and he seemed to really like me and gave me the opportunity. But um, Patty, when I got drafted, was just like, hey, do your thing. You know, we're here for you. We think you, you know, you got the skills and everything and team-wise. And, I mean, everybody there has been, it's, it's, I've never, I mean, it's as cliche as to say it's every team is like family. I mean, I've only, the Seals is different. I mean, it's, I've never been on a team where I've actually felt that camaraderie with everybody and everybody likes each other. And, um, you know, but we, they push us so hard that we're trying, you know, we can do it all, but at the same time, he can be a friend as well. Like you can talk to him. Um, at any time in, in the day, you can call him, you'll answer. I mean, it's different. It's just different there. I, I can't explain. I've never been on a team like that before, but um, I'm just grateful that I got the opportunity to select it there. I mean, it doesn't hurt that it's also paradise in San Diego. So, I mean, 
you know, you get your free agent signings there and stuff too. But, but for me personally, it's been, uh, it's been a dream come true. I can ask anything better from a lacrosse standpoint. Um, and that organization is, is first class with everything. What's the dynamic like between Pat and Brody, you know, brothers who are coaches and players and GMs like that's gotta be, is there any rift between the two or can you see them really, you know, just understanding their roles? There is no riff. I mean, when I've been on teams where there's a, you know, a brother or even like a dad and a son, I mean, they go at each other usually, mm-hmm. you know, like they're each other or something, but um, th- those guys love each other. It's, it's actually endearing kind of see how, how much respect they have for each other. I mean, they both had incredible careers, so you could see why, but um, they got a ton of respect for each other. And Brody is the best captain I've ever played for. Uh, hands down. I mean, it's everybody knows him. It's he's had his career. I mean, he's done it basically everything. But uh, still, he he is unbelievable when it comes to preparation and getting everybody ready, but also being understanding with everything. But I mean, you don't have many guys who can be at that skill level, but also be that tough anymore. I mean, you get, see guys like that, like Jerome McGinley in the NHL. Jamie Benn even plays that role. I mean. You get a couple of guys like that. Priolo, even in the league, is kind of like that. You know, tons of skill, talent, but he can also be tough. But Brody, he brings a night. I mean, it, the fact that we have a leader like that that can bring that kind of intensity, it's it's insane. I'm I'm insanely thankful that we have a captain like that that can bring us. Just you know, we are an expansion team and we're new, and some of the guys just bringing together. And the fact that we have a you know a Hall of Famer leading us the way, it's. It's unbelievable, and Patty and, and Brody's relationship is is awesome. I mean, they feed off each other, and I mean, it just just basically gives us a ton of energy. So, a big stretch for you guys. Your next four games are all Western Conference games. You mentioned earlier, if you guys can start to string some wins together, uh, you can put this two and five and rack record behind you, climb back up the standings. But it all starts with the game in Vegas. It's Vegas, man. Like it, I'm just so yeah. shocked that we're going there. You know what I mean? It's, I it's going to be one of the most inci- exciting road trips the NLL has ever seen. It's it's going to be unbelievable. I mean, it's I don't know what it is. If it's something to do with uh, maybe an expansion team there or whatever they're doing, but um, I mean the hype is real. I mean everybody's going to Vegas to play a professional game. I mean that's it's incredible. Like I wonder what the attendance is going to be like and everything and. But, uh, yeah, I mean, a lot of distractions, though. Tons a of lot distractions. of distractions, yeah. And, then, yeah, and so. then a couple weeks later, you're playing on an Air Force base. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, we almost um, forget about that just because we got Vegas coming up. But the air, air base is, yeah. I mean, just because of what we are, you know, the SEALs based out of San Diego, and, and we have a couple SEALs on our uh, on our staff and stuff like that, it's, it's, that is going to be unbelievable. I've never been on a base like that, so... Um, the fact that we're going to play on that and, and outdoor, I mean, we're going to be like a kid back in, back in Montefuca or Saanich or something like that, playing on Brayfoot. It's going to be cool. There is Casey Jackson of the San Diego Seals. And yeah, I think that game on the Air Force Base is going to be extra cool. There's nothing like going back to your roots when you were a kid playing this game. I think that's why the NHL outdoor games have such a cool lure for NHL players because it goes back to playing shinny when they were kids. Out on the back rinks or out on the lakes, just skating for hours, having fun with your buddies, 
being a kid. And as young lacrosse players, we all grew up playing in outdoor boxes on the wicked hard cement, dirt in the corners, puddles, the caged fence. That's what we all remember from our youths. I don't think that they're going to have the old chicken wire fencing on the Miramar Air Force Base, but that would be kind of cool if they did. I think it would be standard plexiglass and your normal boards, but it's still going to be a very, very unique atmosphere and experience for the first ever NLL outdoor game. So in the span of, what, three weeks? The SEALs are going to play in Vegas for the first time ever, and then on an Air Force base for the first time ever. Steve Govett continues to push the envelope. I don't know, you know, if this is going to continue to be something that they do. We had Govett on the show, and, and he thought that an outdoor game might be something that they do every year. I think it'll always have that lure for the players to play an outdoor game. If they continually put it in different spots in the Southern California area that have some sort of relevance. I think it's just going to be awesome. I think, I think the Vegas weekend is going to be incredible. Uh, I think the Miramar air force base game is going to be wild. And I just more opportunities for our game to expand our reach and get more people out to lacrosse games. Like I said, I, I truly have no idea what Vegas is going to show up with this weekend. You could see a ton of people just walk up from the strip. I, I know it's not on the strip. It's a little bit off the strip on the other side of the freeway. You could have a ton of people just want to show up and, and take it all in, which I hope what happens. I hope there's a massive walk up for that game. I know the National Lacrosse League is having uh, a business seminar in Vegas as we speak. So there's going to be a lot of NLL brass in the house, a lot of sponsors, uh, a lot of marketing people. So there's going to be a lot of eyes at this game from a league standpoint. Whether that translates into butts in the seats, I don't know. What I do know is that it's going to be one heck of a contest between the Seals and the Mammoth. The first time they've met this season, they'll play each other twice in the next few weeks. And it is a massive Western Division game for both of these clubs. San Diego trying to claw themselves out of the basement of the West. Colorado trying to keep pace with Calgary and Saskatchewan at the top. I'm super excited. It is going to be uh, a, a wild, wild event. And I hope for all of those that are coming, you enjoy it and experience it all. Uh, 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific time. Catch it live on BR Live Facebook and Twitter for free. Game of the week. Devin Caney, Doug Locker, and myself will have a full half hour pregame show. It's going to be, it's going to be wicked. So I hope you'll join us. That'll do it for another episode here on the Off the Crossbar podcast. Short, in and out. Let's get you on your way. Thanks to Casey Jackson and Jordan McIntosh for giving us some time. And as always, thanks to you, our loyal listener, for giving us your ear for the past hour. My name is Teddy Jenner. You can find me on Twitter at 
off the crossbar, or you can email me, teddy.jenner at gmail.com. We're going to Vegas. I hope you're there. If not, enjoy the games, and we'll speak to you next week. Until then, be excellent to each other. I am an outlaw. Don't try to love me, don't try to understand